Hey, this is Julia Piper, host of the Political Climate Podcast. Today, I want to tell you about a new podcast from Critical Frequency called Generation Green New Deal. If you're terrified of the climate crisis and want to do something about it, this is the podcast for you. Host Sam Eilertsen takes a look at how scrappy organizations led by teenagers and 20-somethings have embarrassed politicians, knocked powerful incumbents out of office, and brought the U.S. closer than ever to addressing the issue that will define the future of humanity, climate change. The first season features Varshini Prakash of the Sunrise Movement, Naomi Klein, Bill McKibben, Rihanna Gunn-Wright, Jamie Margolin, and many more incredible climate activists. Climate change didn't magically appear at the top of the U.S. political agenda. In the past two years, it's gone from backburner to center stage. Why? Arguably, it all started with a protest in Nancy Pelosi's office in 2018. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez teamed up with a then-obscure youth activist group called the Sunrise Movement to launch the fight for a Green New Deal. It took a lot of planning, courage, and luck to make that protest happen. In this episode of Political Climate, we're excited to bring you that inside story courtesy of Critical Frequency. If you like this episode and you want more, listen and subscribe to Generation Green New Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you like to listen. This episode is called The Pelosi Sit-In. I hope you enjoy. On the night of November 12, 2018, about 200 young climate activists, mostly teenagers and 20-somethings, gathered in a church in Washington, D.C., about a mile from the White House. They'd be staging a protest the next day, but on the night before, the details were still a mystery to most. We drove down there not even knowing what the action was at all. All we knew that something big was happening. <laughs> That's Sarah Duckett. She was 23 at the time, and she was one of the protesters who traveled from Boston to D.C. to do something. Yeah, everybody from across the country was was coming to D.C. for something. They didn't even really know what was what was going to happen yet. And I even pulled my little sister in as her first action ever as well, because I was like, Jackie, this is going to be big. So she came down with me. Sarah, her sister and the rest of the activists settled in. They said their hellos hugged old friends, and introduced themselves to new ones. There was a communal kind of summer camp energy in the church. There were group stretches, sing-alongs, folks started setting up their sleeping bags. People were excited, but a little nervous. It felt very um, good to be there with those people, because I felt like I was in the right place. Um, but yeah, it was also nerve-wracking um, and like awkward because none of us really knew each other. The crowd took seats in the pews. A 24-year-old organizer from Boston named Varshni Prakash took the mic. Through crackling speakers, she told them how big tomorrow might be. The thousands of people that we can move, the pair of unexpected visitors showed up. And I still didn't even know it was going to be such a big deal up until we were there. Up until AOC walked in, that's when I was like, oh shit, shit's going down right now. 
but <laughs> but but she also came she and Rashida Talib came and having them there I was like whoa there's something greater happening here a week earlier, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, commonly known by her initials AOC, had become the youngest woman ever elected to the U.S. House of Representatives after a shocking primary victory. Jackie, my little sister, was next to me when they walked in, and I did the thing where I grabbed her and just shook her, and she was like, ah, stop, because <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? And um, I, I, I looked around to and everybody's faces were the same as mine. It looked like it was a shock to everybody, and I was like, what the fuck? What is this? AOC took the mic and stood up on a table. We need you to make the pressure. Yeah. We cannot do it alone. We need to have backup. We need to show people that this is a fight for our fucking lives. Yeah. Alongside AOC was Rashida Tlaib, one of the first Muslim women ever elected to Congress. The two had spent the day in their congressional orientation. Now they were about to take a huge risk by joining forces with these young activists. What you are going to do tomorrow morning is so critically important because this is the time to not let up. It's time now to speak up, sit in, push back. AOC and Rashida's presence meant a lot for those activists. Here's Varshney. I think for the first time in my life, I felt deeply like we had politicians in office who had our back and who were fighting for us and who looked like us and who cared about the things that we cared about. It was transformational. I am just After their speeches, everyone gathered around AOC and Rashida to take a photo. Then the activists ran through the plan for the following day. They were going to stage a sit-in at the office of the most powerful Democrat on Capitol Hill, Nancy Pelosi. They pulled out hand-drawn maps of the Congressional Office Building and rehearsed where everyone would stand. A lawyer briefed them on the implications of getting arrested by the Capitol Police. She could freak out and call the inside, but there's a good chance that they will not be willing to arrest us in the office. And they made sure they had enough bail money. There was like the um, understanding that we were going to be sleeping on the floor in the church that night. And like I was worried about how tired I was going to be because I had just done like a seven hour car ride. Um, but it didn't matter, you know, like there wasn't an, oh, there wasn't enough food for everyone at dinner the, the first night I got there, too, which was funny. I was like, you know what? It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> we were just like, we're really just here to stop climate change at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of feelings, a lot of feelings going on, but really, really mainly excitement. I was so fucking excited. The next day, they filed into Nancy Pelosi's office and set off a whirlwind. It's so beautiful to see us sitting in here today, the voice of our generation. 
environmental activists joined by the New York Congresswoman-elect Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez occupied House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi's office with a More list than 200 of protesters demonstrated outside her Washington, D.C. office. This week, actually, there's been tremendous pressure from young people, part of the Sunrise Movement. The gamble that AOC and the protesters took that day paid off. In fact, the response was beyond their wildest expectations. It was this unbelievable moment where climate change through the Green New Deal was catalyzed into the national conversation in a way I have never seen before in my lifetime. A Green New Deal. How do you achieve the Green New Deal? Green New Deal. The Green New and Deal. And over the, the next 48 hours, we saw over 5,000 articles written about climate change. Climate change suddenly became one of the major issues in U.S. politics after years of being ignored. We are beginning to learn more about where the Democratic candidates stand on the issue of climate change. Cable network dedicating seven hours mm -hmm. of coverage. Democratic primary voters chose climate change as the top issue for the next president to address. Science tells us we have nine years before the damage is irreversible. Since the Pelosi sit-in, the Green New Deal has become a key part of the progressive platform. We're fighting for the future of this planet, and the Green New Deal that I support will create up to 20 million good-paying jobs. It's also become a boogeyman for the right. Democrats unveiling their radical extreme Green New Deal today. And moderate Democrats worry that it's dangerous political territory. Some moderate Democrats, what in the heck is this? that the Green New Deal is unachievable. I see it as aspirational. The Green Dream, or whatever they call it. And a losing political strategy. But undeniably, our politics has been pushed dramatically by the movement for a Green New Deal. This podcast is about the people who are doing the pushing. Over the course of this season, we're going to take a look at how the youth climate movement has had a huge impact on the current political landscape. We'll hear from activists, policymakers, and people on the front lines of climate change. We're going to hear about how scrappy organizations led by teenagers and 20-somethings have embarrassed politicians, knocked powerful incumbents out of Congress, and brought the U.S. closer than ever to actually addressing the issue that will define the future of humanity, climate change. This is Generation Green New Deal. We'll be back with more Generation Green New Deal right after this. Welcome back to Generation Green New Deal. I'm your host, Sam Eilertson. I'm 30 years old, I'm a documentary filmmaker, and I'm terrified of climate change. In November 2018, I saw videos from that sit-in in Nancy Pelosi's office, and I felt hopeful for the first time in a very long time. All of a sudden, people my age were taking a radical new approach to climate activism. After so many years of disappointments for the climate movement, it seemed like the tide might finally be turning. I felt like this movement might be on the verge of making history, and I wanted to make sure its story was being documented. So I've spent much of the last two years 
talking to this new generation of climate activists. In this episode, we're going to start by looking at that sit-in on November 13th, 2018, the beginning of the fight for a Green New Deal. We'll learn how everything came together at the absolute last minute through a combination of careful planning and luck. Here's Varshini. It was just so totally both, you know, strong, precise, strategic, tactical thinking combined with a bit of serendipity and good luck. And all of that collectively, I think, created a, a huge um, whirlwind moment that, that kind of changed the landscape around climate politics in the U.S. While you're probably familiar with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you're less likely to have heard of the Sunrise Movement. They're the group of activists we met in the church, and Varshini is one of the co-founders of Sunrise. In the two years since the protests, Sunrise has risen to become an important player in the world of progressive politics. They call themselves the Sunrise Movement, and after dozens were arrested for occupying the offices of top Democrats, dozens of top Democrats are now singing their song. I support a Green New Deal. So where did Sunrise come from? It all started with a handful of young activists trying to solve a big problem with the climate movement. Climate change was something that almost no one wanted to talk about. Think back to just a few years ago, before that Pelosi protest. How often did you hear politicians talking about climate change? How often did you hear news networks talking about climate change? The answer is probably not all that much. Here's polling expert Lee Miringoff in 2018. Climate change is not a, you know, a real intense issue for a lot of people. Despite fears, of course, if people who don't believe in it are wrong, <laughs> trouble. Take the 2016 presidential campaign, for example. The debate moderators didn't ask a single question about climate change the entire campaign. Of course, there had been climate activism for decades, including the enormous People's Climate March, the decade-long fight against the Keystone XL pipeline, and Standing Rock. But all these movements had a really hard time getting mainstream media coverage or getting politicians to respond. We'll talk more about why in a future episode. But that was the situation. The people who started Sunrise were trying to figure out how to change that how to finally break through the media blackout and reach the public, and how to do that as young people. We've heard so much. <laughs> you're young, you're naive, you're too radical, you're impractical. We have heard every single thing under the sun. And for us, we're hearing that and saying the only radical thing at this juncture, at this critical juncture in history, would be to do nothing. Like I mentioned, Varshini helped start Sunrise, and she's the current executive director. A lot of the people who ended up starting Sunrise and were part of the core leadership were politicized and first got engaged in movement organizing um, in the era of parts per million and polar bears. Like, that's how we were talking about the climate issue. All of these things that were ultimately not human-centric. The climate movement had no real way to contest for political power, for governing power in this country that we would need to ultimately win and secure a livable future for all of us. I gathered a few friends, about 12 people from across the youth climate movement, 
who were frustrated with our inability to build a youth climate movement that could go to scale. They launched in 2017 with the goal of, as they put it, building an army of young people to stop climate change and create millions of good jobs in the process. At the time, they had a handful of people and they're up against the oil companies, Fox News, and the entire political establishment. Aru Shiny Jay is now trainings director at Sunrise. She joined back in 2017. At the end of my freshman year, um, I went to my very first launch training at Sunrise, and uh, I remember like we were in this like little basement room, and we talk, talk, we talk about like the scale of the climate crisis and the inaction of establishment politicians, and we have this yellow slide that says, "So we got to take over." And I remember being in this like little room of thirty people and being like, "Oh my God, how are we going to do that?" <laughs> over the course of 2017-2018, Sunrise brought more and more young people into the movement, but their numbers still were not exactly formidable. Meanwhile, in that year's midterm elections, Democrats looked poised to take back control of the House of Representatives, but it didn't look like that would mean much for the climate movement. We were also seeing Democrats who said in name that they cared about the climate crisis, but when push came to shove, never translated their words to action. And we were pretty positive that if Democrats were to take back control, of the House in 2018, that there was almost no reason for them to prioritize the climate crisis in the 116th Congress. Confirming their fears, Democratic leaders signaled that climate change would not be on the agenda. Here's Sunrise Organizing Director Diana Jay. I remember this so clearly. This article came out in October 2018 that said the title was Dems damped down hopes on climate action. And, you know, that was that was our whole mission was to be able to make uh, at least the Democrats care about the climate crisis and make it a top priority. And it was giving every sign that that was not going to be true coming out of the 2018 midterm elections. We felt so defeated. While politicians put their heads in the sand, the news was getting more and more alarming. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, a group of the world's foremost climate scientists, had released a terrifying new report. Scientists have issued their starkest warning yet about the danger of climate change. 12 years, start your clocks. That's how long the world's top authority on climate science says we have in order to prevent the most catastrophic results of climate change. But despite this clarity from the world's top scientists, climate change still was not even close to being a priority for US politicians. CNN can now project that Democrats will win the majority in the U.S. House of Representatives, Jake, uh, this is a huge... We realized that we had to do something to make an intervention in the Democratic Party, to set the tone for the 116th Congress and ensure that the climate crisis would be a, a, a core part of the conversation leading into the 2020 election. They were going to stage a sit-in at the office of Nancy Pelosi, the top Democrat on Capitol Hill, not some conservative or even a moderate Democrat, a liberal. The goal was to say to Democrats, it's not enough to just say you believe in climate change. You have to actually do something about it. Not everyone, even in the climate activist world, thought that this was a great idea. Here's Julian Brave Noise Cat, a leading policy wonk within the Green New Deal movement. I remember when 
I got drinks with a couple of friends and it was, I think, October of 2018. And they were young climate activists. And they were telling me about this crazy idea that they had to sit in on the soon-to-be speaker's office demanding that she take big, bold action, take risks on climate change. And I was like, well, I don't know why the heck Nancy Pelosi would listen to you. The first thing Sunrise needed to do was get people to Washington. They announced on their social media and email list that they would be taking action in D.C. on November 13th, a week after the election. In order to avoid tipping off the Capitol Police, they didn't say they'd be staging a sit-in. They just said they were going to be sending a message to the new Congress. As Sarah told us at the top of the episode, most of the activists came down to D.C. having no idea what they were actually going to be doing. Varshini and the other Sunrise leaders worried. Could they actually pull this off? Oh my God, I remember we were like, this could all fail. Like, this could all fail. I remember just, like, having this terrifying feeling, like, what if 50 people show up? Like, <laughs> do we have the masses? Do we have the, the tactics? What if they just lock us out of the buildings? Um, do we actually have people who are willing to risk arrest? So they reached out to someone they hoped could amplify their message. We were like, hey, AOC, you have like a million Twitter followers. Do you want to tweet about this action we're doing on Monday? This is like the Friday beforehand. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had just beaten powerful New York City Representative Joe Crowley, one of Nancy Pelosi's closest allies in a Democratic primary. When I first thought about running for Congress, it was from the fields of North Dakota after I stood with water protectors in the Lakota Sioux at Standing Rock. She had talked a lot about climate change during her campaign and signaled that she wanted to make it a priority. Our government and our elected officials need to drink our water and breathe our air because our lives are on the line. Waleed Shahid was her communications director during the primary. I wouldn't say she ran on a Green New Deal, but she ran on a major economic investment um, to tackle the climate crisis, which, um, you know, just didn't have the catchy branding at that point. Progressives across the country agreed on the underlying principle, but there was disagreement about how to brand it. Eventually, AOC's team landed on Green New Deal. And we just ended up calling it a Green New Deal because um, it was catchy. So AOC got this request from Sunrise to promote their action a few days before it was going down. That weekend, Waleed got a call from AOC's chief of staff, Shoykat Chakrabarty. So Shoykat was like, what do you think about these Sunrise kids? I remember getting that phone call and I was like, I think Sunrise is great. And he was like, okay, I think we're thinking about doing something with them. They, were, they said, what do you think about if AOC and Sunrise did a sit-in at Nancy Pelosi's office? This was a bold move, to say the least. An incoming freshman lawmaker challenging the leader of her own party publicly. It was a huge risk. And the way he asked the question was that if he wanted me to talk him out of it. Um, he was he was calling me for so that he could say while he'd said it wasn't a good idea <laughs> or something like I could just tell he was just like really hoping I would say no. Except Waleed actually thought it was a good idea. He just wasn't sure about the messaging. And he was like, it would be about the IPCC report and how Democrats don't have a plan around it. And I was like, that seems really wonky. Like, who knows what the IPCC report is? And he was like, 
well, that's true. And I was like, I feel like AOC is so, you know, such a big presence in politics right now that it could work. And so I was like, yeah, I think it could work as long as the message was good. So AOC and her team asked Sunrise to center the idea of a Green New Deal as their demand to Pelosi and the Democrats. I remember getting on the phone with people right before the fucking Nancy Pelosi sit-in and people didn't want to call it a Green New Deal like a few hours before the sit-in. I think the signs, I think the signs didn't even say Green New Deal. Sunrise had been using the slogan Green Jobs for All, and that's what they had painted on their signs. At this point, they didn't have time to paint new ones. I remember just feeling just hella exhausted. I remember the night before I was napping on a tiny couch, like a couch made for small children. You know, those like weird small couches that they have. And I was just like hanging off the edge of it, napping at like 5 p.m. while the training was wrapping up for half an hour because I was so tired. And then like Evan Weber waking me up being like, Hey, Varsh, you need to wake up because um, uh, Rashida Tlaib and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are on their way and you have to introduce them. And I was like, what? Oh my God. Ah, okay. Wake up. Ah. And then I just like started crying because I was so exhausted and overwhelmed about what to do. The Green New Deal was a brand new concept for almost everyone in the church that night. So Varshini and other Sunrise leaders had some quick explaining to do. The Green New Deal is an economic vision for the 21st century. It is a plan to tackle the twin crises of our lifetimes, that of economic inequality and that of climate change. And it's an, a, a massive investment in ourselves. It is a massive investment in Americans from all walks of life to get America off of fossil fuels, to create millions of good, high-paying, unionized jobs, to provide clean air and clean water for all people, and to ensure that racial and economic justice are a part of the vision of this nation. The idea resonated with Sarah and the other activists. It sounded like the best plan I had ever heard of. I mean, like, comparing that to changing our light bulbs and recycling. It felt like the first real thing I had ever heard um, and, and having a timeline for it based on science. So it felt to me like like hope um, and like something that I would fight for. AOC and Rashida arrived at the church shortly thereafter, addressed the crowd and made their way out. All that was left was for the activists to run through the plan over and over. We did do a rehearsal. We did many rehearsals the night before. Um, we went into the side room of the church and like there was marked off on the floor. I don't remember if it was tape or like chairs, but somehow we had Nancy Pelosi's office about the, the size and layout on the floor. And we practiced multiple times going in and out and holding the banners and sitting down and how it would be. And what do we want our facial expressions to be like? And what do we want our hand gestures to be like? And how loud... Or, or quiet are we going to be at any given moment? So all of that, extremely important. Sarah also had a pretty big decision to make. Yeah, the the deciding if I was going to get arrested was very tricky because I had no idea what would um, happen to me at my job. As supportive as they are, I had no idea if it would be um, chill for me to get arrested and have that be on national television. I was with some of my friends from Boston and we were all kind of in similar boats with the arresting thing. And we, we were like, um, 
I don't know. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? I don't know. I'll, I'll do it if you do it. Okay, I'll do it with you. I'll do it if you do it. And then we all did it. And we um, walked to an ATM and got our cash for uh, the, what is it, post and, and forfeit or whatever the legal term, term in BC is. Yep. And, and yeah, and then we decided. So sometimes you make decisions like that. <laughs> the next morning, they were up early. And then the day of, you know, we had to wake up. We, we were up at like 5.30, 6 a.m., it was unbelievable. There were, you know, 300, 200, 300 people that showed up. I was like, I hope 50 of them do. Um, and, you know, like dozens of them pledged to get arrested that day. However, one particular protester was conspicuous in her absence. I kept being like, why is an AOC at the sit-in? And people were like, no one has heard from her all morning. And, I'm just, and I was like, wait, she, she might not come to the sit-in? Her staff were like, I don't know. She's not responding to her messages. It's like 8 a.m. And, she, you know, uh, she should be awake. And, you know, I remember hearing later that she really struggled with the decision to show up and that she really thought it could be career-ending. Around 9 a.m., 200 Sunrise protesters filed into the House office building. At first, they walked quietly and kept their signs hidden to avoid breaking any rules. They wanted to buy themselves as much time as possible before the police got called. They politely asked the aide at the front desk if they could speak to Nancy Pelosi. They'd brought letters to Pelosi in manila envelopes, which they left on her desk. When it was clear she wasn't going to be coming to talk to them, a few dozen activists in the office sat down and started chanting. Outside, the rest of the protesters lined the hall and unfurled yellow and black signs with messages like, this is an emergency. I didn't know how like unplanned most of it was, but once we got in there and all sat down and were, like, were holding space, all of a sudden it sank in that we were, we were doing it. I remember we walked up to the, the, the office, we walked in and, and um, I was the first person to speak. And I remember this like hush that came over the crowd in Nancy Pelosi's office. My name is Varshini Prakash. I'm one of the founders of Sunrise Movement. And we are building an army of young people to stop climate change and create good jobs for our generation. There were so much press just clamoring at the at the the door of the office. I was like, oh my God, this is like the closest I have ever felt to experiencing paparazzi. Like it was just wild. And feeling this 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 really like this shift, like we were something powerful was happening today. And to everyone's relief, AOC did in fact show up. We have to get to 100% renewable energy in 10 years. There is no other option. And joining the sit-in didn't destroy her career. It catapulted it. I still think it's the most impactful thing she has done as a member of Congress is to really force a decision in the Democratic Party, align with the social movement organization. 
In a horrifying illustration of Sunrise's point, as they staged their sit-in in DC, a massive wildfire was raging in California. They could see coverage of it on the TVs in Pelosi's office. Fire officials say it began as a campfire that grew out of control and quickly burned several thousand structures in its path as wind gusts up to 33 miles per hour fed the flames. The campfire would burn for more than two weeks, kill 85 people, and burn the town of Paradise to the ground. It was the deadliest and most destructive fire in California's history. After the speeches, the protesters sang. They chanted. One by one, they were let out in plastic cuffs by the Capitol Police. That night, as they got released from jail, they saw the news reports pouring in. People kept stopping and being like, wait, 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 we just got in the New York Times. Everyone was like, bah! And it just kept happening. Here's Julian Noisecat, who was skeptical of this whole idea of targeting Pelosi with a sit-in. My friends at Sunrise had uh, really kind of captured fire in a bottle here by staging this action in the way that they did at the moment that they did. And I think that we are now fundamentally in a new era of the climate fight, in large part because of youth activist movements like Sunrise. So many people saw that action in Speaker Pelosi's office. And, you know, if they were students in university, they joined the local Sunrise chapter. If there wasn't one, they started their own. After that sit-in, Sunrise blew up. Many thousands were inspired to join the movement, making it a truly crazy time for sunrisers like Aru and Sarah. Yeah, I just remember doing sunrise like non-stop. And I had no concept of being burnt out yet. I think the following Monday or something, we had a wave of actions and I was just all in at the time. Like everything outside of work was sunrise. There were a few months right afterwards where I was the most hectic that it's ever been in my life. I remember one time um, after the action on December 10th, I actually got out of jail and like Skyped into my four hour seminar. And I was like, sorry guys. Um. And this is where I come in. I was one of those many thousands inspired by seeing Sunrise and AOC sitting in. And next week, we're gonna dig deeper into what about the message of the Green New Deal mobilized so many young people. I would lie there awake for hours and just feel this like rising anxiety in my stomach, in my gut, in my heart. And how the Green New Deal inspired a lot of people who didn't fit the typical environmental activist mold. And I hated environmentalists. Like you have to realize growing up in Florida, we hated Al Gore. We hated environmentalists. We despised the people who told us our state was going to sink into the sea. We're like, fuck you. We'll be back next week with more stories from the movement for a Green New Deal. In the meantime, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us. Also, if you want to hear more stories from the sit-in at Nancy Pelosi's office and from across the youth climate movement, go subscribe to our sister podcast, Inherited. It's hosted by two young Sunrise activists, Georgia Wright and Juliana Bradley, and it's also part of the Critical Frequency Network. You can go listen and subscribe right now wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can follow us for more on Twitter and Instagram at GenerationGND. We're on Facebook as Generation Green New Deal. And you can find links to all of this and also subscribe to our newsletter at our website, GenerationGreenNewDeal.com slash podcast. You'll also be able to watch a companion video to this episode with behind-the-scenes footage from the sit-in and the training in the church the night before. Generation Green New Deal is produced by Takun Alam Productions and distributed by Critical Frequency. I'm your host, Sam Eilertsen. Nate Birnbaum and I created the show and we wrote and produced this episode with Michael Catano. Our executive producers are Amy Westervelt and Eric Axelman. Our story consultant is Maggie Lemire. Nick Damance is our script consultant. Mariel Olentine also helped us produce this season of Generation Green New Deal, and she produces our companion videos. Michael Catano is our editor and also our mix engineer. Polkit Data is our impact producer. Our artwork was created by Matthew Fleming, and our theme song is Which Side Are You On by B. Dolan. Special thanks to Maggie Taylor, Megan Larson, Rekha Murthy, Sam Quigley, Alex Ostroff, Elizabeth Case, Teresa Preston Warner, Preston Warner Ventures, the Topol Family Foundation, and the Solberga Foundation. This podcast is based on the documentary of the same name, which is also being produced by Takuna Lam Productions. Thanks for listening.